if you would open your Bibles to John chapter 12, uh, Cameron Dispro is going to come and actually read us the story uh, that we're going to be looking at this morning. So he's going to be in John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had risen from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at a table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she, that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but to also see Lazarus, whom he had risen from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Thank you, Cameron. Good job. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would uh, now send your spirit Help us to see what your word teaches us, uh, to embrace it, to love it, and to learn from it. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So, I want you to think of a time when you were extravagant, or somebody was extravagant to you. Money didn't matter. Whatever the occasion, it was worth the cost. Maybe you were picking out a wedding ring. You know, it's estimated that Kanye West spent $8 million on the ring he bought for Kim Kardashian. Extravagance. Maybe it wasn't a wedding ring. Maybe it's a special anniversary and you spent a lot of money to go to uh, a resort or a vacation at a very special and unique place. Uh, Maybe it's a birthday party for someone you loved and appreciated and you really wanted to make it special. You really wanted to highlight this particular birthday. And so you went you know, the extra mile, and, and the money didn't matter. You, you were willing to spend what it cost to do what needed to be done. Well, how often have you heard phrases or said phrases like, we're on vacation, uh, he's worth it, she's worth it. How often do we see our kids? It's only a couple times a year, let's spend the money, right? You're extravagant in unique and special situations, And even those who don't have much money, they're extravagant within their means. I mean, think of the poor college student who's barely making uh, ends meet, still somehow scrapes together the money to propose to his fiance with a ring that's worth far less than eight million or even 800, right? (laughs) But it doesn't matter. The ring is still extravagant and it's, it's not the price of the ring that matters, right? It's the person, it's the occasion. When a person is extravagant, it reveals one of two things. Either their foolish ignorance or 
their deep love. It can reveal foolish ignorance because someone might be spending things and it just reveals that they don't know what anything is worth. It's like a kid who doesn't understand the difference between a $1 bill and a $100 bill and they're just wasting money. It could reveal deep, deep love and a desire to honor somebody. When my brother graduated from high school, my grandparents flew from out of town and took my brother and I and our family uh, to one of the nicest restaurants I've ever been to. Uh, and they did that because they loved my brother. They wanted to honor my brother, and they highlighted that particular occasion. Normally, my grandparents take us to a very cheap diner, um, <laughs> which I love, by the way. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying this was not a diner kind of occasion. It's a different kind of occasion. Well, in this story, Mary is extravagant towards Jesus. She gives him something. She does something over the top. She goes the extra mile. And the question is, is it a foolish act of ignorance or is it an act of deep love? And it all depends on what a person thinks about Jesus. It all depends on what a person thinks about Jesus. So like I said, it's in uh, John chapter 12, but before I get started, I just want to make a quick point of clarification. There's another story in the Bible that's very similar to this, and it's in Luke chapter 7. And sometimes this happened to me and it's happened to others. You can kind of meld those two stories together. Uh, there's another time when Jesus is having dinner and a prostitute comes in and weeps um, and pours perfume on his feet and wipes his feet with her hair in a very similar way to what Mary does on this occasion. But I just want to make a point of clarification. Those are actually two different occasions. Um, they're not the same. Uh, the details of the story tell us they're different houses, they're different women, uh, they're just different dinners. And so just a quick point of clarification, uh, if you're familiar with that story um, and it was blending together. Uh, but in this one, it says first in verse 1 uh, that Jesus arrived in Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, John chapter 12 uh, is placed strategically after John chapter 11, Okay. <laughs> Now, you got to remember, back in the day, uh, the Bible did not have chapters when it was first written. And so, uh, honestly, John chapter 11 probably starts a section that is supposed to be connected with 12. Um, so really, you really should be thinking about these as a unit. And the beginning of John 12 actually uh, reminds us and kind of just summarizes what happens in John 11. So if you're unfamiliar with who Lazarus is, it reminds you. Lazarus was that guy that Jesus rose from the dead. And so you can just go back and reread that story in John 11. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus who got sick and died. Jesus arrives four days later and miraculously raises Lazarus from the dead. Now let me pause right there and remind you, remind all of us, the Bible is not a book of fairy tales. It's, it's not a children's story. So when it says that he raised Lazarus from the dead, he actually raised Lazarus from the dead. This is not Sleeping Beauty. This is not Snow White. Lazarus was an actual person who actually died. Jesus was and is an actual person who raised the physical body of Lazarus from the dead. This, isn't, this is not a figment of our imagination. But you and I weren't there. We didn't see it. So it can be kind of hard to, to visualize, to feel the weight of it, but obviously for the people who were there, it was a huge deal. They didn't forget it. They knew. They had seen. Uh, and in fact, Lazarus ends up becoming uh, something of a local celebrity. 
Uh, It says that people came to Bethany to see Lazarus, and on account of Lazarus, they were starting to put their faith in Jesus. And so Jesus ends up coming back to Bethany to have a dinner with his friend Lazarus, his sisters, and a few other people as well. And so that's where we're at. We're at this dinner, and Lazarus is there, people are there, and the sisters are introduced in the next verse, or at least the first one, Martha. So Lazarus has two sisters. Martha, it says, served. Um, That's pretty typical of Martha. There's an earlier occasion where Jesus visits the sisters and she's doing pretty much the same thing. She's playing hostess, uh, making food, serving dishes, um, doing what needs to be done to to make the meal happen. Um, And in in this particular episode in John 12, that's not a bad thing. Uh, in the earlier time, Jesus says that uh, Mary had chosen the better thing, but Mary just, she, it just is what it is in this story. Um, and Martha doesn't play a big role, and so the verse, or the story just kind of keeps going, and it introduces, or it not really introduces, but it shows that Mary is there. And the story really centers on the action of Mary. Uh, she is one of the main players in this particular story of Scripture. Now, by this point, we, we actually know a decent amount about Mary, more than what we know about uh, what I would call the peripheral, the other peripheral disciples. By peripheral, I mean not the like, original 12. Um, Mary had sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teachings. Uh, she had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Uh, she had said that she believed that Jesus was who he said he was. So even though she wasn't one of the original 12, Mary is clearly a disciple who takes Jesus at his word, who believes him, and who is following him. And she, she does something here that is extravagant. Now obviously there are a number of other people at the dinner, but, if, but it's, like I said, the story really centers on Mary and Jesus. And honestly, if it weren't for Mary, uh, this story probably wouldn't be in Scripture. I mean, John tells us at the end of this book, there's lots of things that happened in Jesus' life that we don't know about. If you just think that he was a, lived about 33 years, I mean, it doesn't tell us about every meal he had. Okay, that would be pretty tedious. Um, Mary's action highlights this particular meal. And so what is it that she does? It says uh, that she took an extremely expensive and valuable pint of perfume. Now, if you're like me, you might need a visual aid. This is a pint, okay, 16 fluid ounces. She took a, a bottle, it was about this size, give or take, okay? And she opens it up and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. Now, this jar, well, not this one, that one, uh, was expensive. And when I say expensive, I don't mean just like a couple hundred dollars expensive, like a bottle of wine. I mean, it was very very expensive. Uh, Judas, of course, knew the cost, and he tells us a little bit later that it's worth 300 denarii. I noticed a lack of shock. (laughs) Uh, Some of your translations will try to bridge the gap already and tell you a year's wages. Uh, A denarius, and you can learn all of this by just reading the Bible. You don't actually even need a commentary to get to this. Uh, A denarius is worth uh, one day's wage for a normal worker. What a normal worker could expect was one denarius. So 300 denarii is 300 days of work, okay? And so it's about, 
if you were to take into account the Sabbaths and the days uh, that they don't work, the feasts and things, then we're looking at about a year's wages for uh, a, a normal laborer, okay? And so, just to help get our heads around it, um, there's an article in the Columbian that came out uh, just this last September that was summarizing the census data for 2016 in Clark County. Now, they said that uh, the common laborer, the, just the normal person, uh, without investments and other income, could expect to earn about $50,000 a year in Clark County. Okay? So, to get our minds around it, if this bottle of perfume were sitting in your house, it would be worth $50,000. Okay? Even people who have a lot of money, that's an expensive bottle of perfume. Okay? It's huge. It's a big deal. And so it's not like she's just, you know, taking them to a nice restaurant and ready to spend a couple hundred dollars. She is pouring out a huge amount of money here. Now, we don't know. Uh, the Bible just doesn't tell us how much money Mary and Martha and Lazarus had. Maybe they were a really wealthy family. Uh, but even if they were, it's still expensive. Even if they were, that's still likely the most expensive thing in their house. And so she takes this jar of perfume and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. And what's happening here is worship. She's anointing him. The, the text doesn't actually use the verb anointing, but if your Bible has headers, they recognize it says anointing. This is typically referred to as the anointing at Bethany. And Mary, what she does is she sees Jesus for who he truly is, the anointed one. Do you realize that the word Christ was not actually Jesus' last name? It wasn't like Jesus Christ in the same way as John Smith. Uh, Christ is actually a title, meaning the anointed one. It's the Greek equivalent of Messiah, of the one who is anointed, meaning chosen by God for a special and unique task. It's Jesus the Christ. And so she recognizes he is anointed by God. And that's exactly what Jesus says uh, when he opens up the scroll of Isaiah um, back in Luke chapter six, I believe. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He is God's anointed one. Mary recognizes that about Jesus and she agrees with God about the identity of Christ and within her own means and her own ability, she acts on that belief and anoints him herself with what is likely the most expensive thing in her home. And as she does that, the air is filled with Mary's worship. At that moment, what you could smell is not just perfume, but you could actually smell the glory of God embodied temporarily, a very small part of it, in a sweet aroma. And it's a beautiful and honorable thing. As this is happening, what the disciples should have been doing was basking, I mean, I don't know, just enjoying it and admiring it and seeing this as the beautiful thing that it was. But it was only beautiful and honorable to some. To others, uh, the perfume reeked of foolish ignorance and waste. Judas raises the objection, right? But before we beat up on Judas, although we should, um, <laughs> The other gospel writers in their parallel accounts say that it wasn't just Judas. Uh, it, said, it just says the disciples. John's the only one bold enough to point fingers and name names. Um, 
So what likely happened was a handful of the disciples were, you know, you know, grumbling off to the side. Judas, chief of the pack, speaks up. And he says, this should have been sold and given to the poor. 50,000, you know how long, how far that could go for someone who doesn't have a blanket or food? Okay, pause. Take the fact that it was Judas who said it out of the equation for just a second. And let me ask, good idea or bad idea? I mean, sounds an awful lot like something Jesus already said to the rich young ruler, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, right? I mean, the Old and New Testament both are filled with commands for us to care for the poor. This is clearly something that God cares about, that believers and Christians should care about. I, I, mean, I mean, the words themselves are not necessarily that bad of an idea. But it's all about motive, Right? It's all about motive. It's not like Mary was trying to get out of helping the poor by throwing this on Jesus' feet. It's just, it wasn't like, mm, I, well, I don't want to be nice to them, so I'm going to do this instead. And conversely, John tells us it wasn't because Judas cared about the poor. He had no intent whatsoever of giving that money to the poor if it, if it had been sold. What Judas meant was that money should be, or that perfume should, should be sold so I can steal the money. I mean, John's, John says Judas was embezzling funds the whole time. He was pulling money out of that money bag. And so what he sees is a year's wage. He sees $50,000. That's a lot of money. I wish I could. What he sees is now what could have been given to the poor. It's what he could have gotten away with. Now, John doesn't do this, but the other gospel writers... It's right after this story. In Matthew and Mark, right after their account of this anointing, that Judas goes and makes his deal with the Pharisees to betray Jesus. Now, do any of you remember how much Judas betrays Jesus for? 30 pieces of silver. Now, it doesn't say 30 denarii, so we don't know for sure because a lot of the coins were silver back then. But, in comparison, he turns around and betrays Jesus for what is possibly 10%, maybe less, than what Mary had just did, done. I mean, in contrast to the cost of the perfume, the cost of the betrayal is absurdly low. This is ridiculous. Do you see the comparison? Mary would pay any price to honor Jesus, while Judas would turn around and stab him in the back for almost nothing. It's insane. What is Judas doing here? Doesn't he get it? Obviously he doesn't. Because greed did to Judas what it does to so many of us, to all of us really. It lied. It lied to Judas. And so he has a warped view of reality. And what we see in Judas is the inevitable conflict when a person tries to serve both God and money. I doubt. Now, this is a theory, so take it for what it's worth, but I doubt that Judas originally started following Jesus with the intent of betraying him. Okay? What likely happened, this is my theory, okay, what likely happened is he wasn't willing to give up his God of money, and when he realized that those two things, and this may be the point that it happened, when he realized those two things were in conflict, he chose money. One will win. You cannot serve both God and money. You will... Hate the one and serve the other. And that's exactly what happened with Judas. And exactly the opposite with Mary. 
how many of us, how many of us, myself included, are in danger of the same trap of greed, the deceitfulness of wealth? God help us. God help all of us. We are in a culture that prizes money far more than it should. And I don't just mean America. I mean the Northwest, the Pacific Northwest, Clark County, the Portland metro area. Matthew and Mark tell us that it was right after this that Judas goes and betrays Jesus. But before that happens, Jesus speaks up. Jesus, as he has done in the past, comes to Mary's defense. He speaks up and he basically says, back off, leave her alone. What she has done, and in Matthew Mark's gospel, he actually says the words, what she has done is a beautiful thing. I mean, Judas, you, th- you think it's stupid, but it's actually beautiful. It's actually honorable. And he gives two lines of defense for her action. In verse seven, uh, he says uh, it, that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. And you'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, the language of verse seven is a little tricky. And so if you were to read uh, five or 10 different English translations, uh, they're all going to say relatively the same thing, but you'll, you'll just kind of be unsure. Uh, mine puts little brackets on the phrase, it was intended. That's not in the actual original Greek. They're just trying to say, we think this is what Jesus meant, so we'll, imp- we'll say these words are implied. The, the commentaries I read, the Greek scholars that I read, just were basically like, we think this is what Jesus means. There are a few options, but we're not, no one's really totally sure. Luckily, the Bible doesn't leave us in the dark. We have Matthew and Mark's accounts of the same thing, And so between Matthew and Mark and the commentaries that I read, the best paraphrase that I can come up with of Jesus' defense in verses seven and eight is this. Now this is a paraphrase, and like I said, there's um, some uh, some debate here, but so take it with a grain of salt. But Jesus is basically saying, leave her alone. She was saving the perfume for a special occasion, and this is it. She saw an opportunity right now to use it, and what she has chosen to do is a good and beautiful thing. She has prepared my body for burial. Now, you'll always have the poor among you, and you should always care for the poor among you, but you won't always have me around, and the opportunity to do something special to worship and honor me is closing. So, leave her alone. So that's my rough paraphrase of Jesus' reasoning here. Jesus, or, uh, Mary realizes there's a window of opportunity and she takes advantage of it. Now, Jesus actually seems to see her act as prophetic. I mean, did you notice the phrase about his burial? Um, he sees that she is preparing his body to die. And so it's unlikely that Mary thought that when she was doing it. All indications in the Gospels seemed to be that every disciple of Jesus was shocked that he died. But Jesus is not surprised. Jesus knows what's going to happen. And so he says, he sees his impending death. He sees that she has basically prepared his body to die. Just like the Old Testament kings who were anointed in preparation for them to be lifted up on a throne, Jesus is now being anointed not to be lifted up on a throne, but to be lifted up on a cross and then put into a grave and he is being prepared for that, even though Mary doesn't get it. Now his second phrase about the poor is interesting, right? 
I mean, we already talked about it a little bit, but just think for a moment. I mean, if anyone else were to say something like that, be pretty arrogant and self-centered, okay? (laughs) The poor will always be around. Do something for me, okay? Now, if any of us were to say that, that would be (laughs) incredibly proud and unrighteous. The only way that comment makes sense is if Jesus truly was worthy of all honor, if he truly was worthy of $50,000 for a few moments of glory. And of course he was. But not just was he, he was also aware of it. And not in an arrogant way, but he knows he is simply accepting the glory and honor that is due to his name. Which makes the next chapter in John, when he takes off the robe and he washes the feet of his disciples, all the more striking when you realize that Jesus knew he was above that. And Jesus had already accepted worship that, for someone that would have been far above the place of a servant. And the fact that he doesn't cling to that place, but is willing to take the form of a servant is incredible. So Jesus defends Mary. All the way back in 1 Samuel, God says, Uh, to a guy named Eli. It's a pithy little statement. He says, uh, those who honor me, I will honor. And that's exactly what's happened here. Mary has used what she has to honor Jesus, and he turns around, defends her, and in so doing, honors her. Matthew and Mark say in their gospels, Jesus says at this point, wherever the story of the gospel is told, this story will be told in memory of her. He has turned around and made sure that everyone, us included, remember Mary. There are a lot of people who have followed Jesus throughout the years. There were a lot of people in biblical times who followed Jesus. We don't know their names. We'll never know them on this side of eternity. But Jesus has said they need to know Mary. And he has turned around and honored her by putting, making sure, basically telling them, when you write the Bible, make sure this makes it in. Jesus wants her act to be remembered. But it's not just that he wants her act remembered, he wants her heart imitated. The story is in scripture because Mary's action teaches us. See, Mary was acting on this one key truth. Jesus is worth more than even my most precious possessions. Jesus is worth more than even my most precious possessions. And this truth is not just true for Mary. This is a truth for every believer. Every Christian in this room is being moved to a spot where we would wholeheartedly embrace that. Even if you're a follower of Jesus and you feel like I'm not there yet, that's where the Holy Spirit's taking you. That's the end of the road where you would wholeheartedly embrace Jesus as supremely valuable above everything. But it's not just that he's worth more than anything to Mary. It's not like she just saw a good deal. She loved him more than anything. She loved him more than anything. One commentator wrote this, love is not love if it nicely calculates the cost. It gives its all, and its only regret is that it has not still more to give. The Irish poet and playwright Oscar Wilde said, where there is no extravagance, there is no love. And where there's no love, there's no understanding. 
Mary was extravagant because she loved, and she loved because she at least in part understood who Jesus was. Remember again the connection to chapter 11. She understands something very significant about Jesus. She had seen him raise her brother from the dead. She knew that Jesus was the solution to the sin and death problem that all of us have. Not just the sin and death problem of Lazarus, not even just the sin and death problem of the world, although Jesus is the solution to those. She realized that Jesus was the sin and death solution for herself. Remember what Jesus says to her back in John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. Do you believe this, is what he asks Mary. And she says, yes. She understands something significant about Jesus, not just that he's worth a lot, that he is in fact her savior, her own personal savior, and she responds to that by giving him everything she's got. Everything she's got, it's worth everything to her. And it's not just that he's worth more, it's that she loves him more. She has, she has embraced that truth with every fiber of her being and not just in an intellectual way. She sees a savior and even if she doesn't know how it's going to happen, even if she doesn't know that the way he's gonna solve the sin and death problem is by his own death and resurrection, even if she doesn't get that that's how it's gonna happen, she sees that he's the solution. And she acts on it. But Judas didn't get that. He acted on the opposite belief of Mary. Whereas she believed, she understood that Jesus is worth more than even her greatest possessions. She loves him and so she's extravagant. Judas believes the goods of this world are worth more than Jesus. So I don't understand, therefore I don't love, I in fact hate. And that leads to the betrayal, which leads to his own suicide. Two different paths. There are only two responses to Christ, faith and unbelief. There's no middle road. And in John 11 and John 12, this theme, and in fact in the whole Gospel of John, this theme is highlighted several times, but in John 11 and John 12, there's been a growing momentum of Jesus' followers. Remember the people who see Lazarus raised put their faith in Jesus. There's a growing momentum of Jesus' followers, but to match that, there's a growing resistance of Jesus' resistors. As people believe in him, the Pharisees meet and harden their hearts. Some of the Jews basically go and tattle. That's what John eleven forty five and John 12, 10 and 11 say. At the end of this uh, story, that's exactly what happens. You've got people working their way into one of these two camps of Jesus' followers or Jesus' resistors. And what John does in this story is he puts a representative on each crowd. Mary for the Jesus' followers, Judas for the Jesus' resistors. And do you know why he does that? Because he wants us to choose which camp we fall in. He says at the end of his gospel, I have written this so that you may believe. He's not just telling us about Mary because she's a nice lady. He's telling us about Mary because he wants us to identify either with the Jesus followers or the Jesus resistors. And so the question for us, the question for you personally, is are you more like Mary, willing to give everything for Jesus, or are you more like Judas? Now, they're extreme examples, to be sure, 
but their examples can help us examine ourselves. And so let me ask you, is Jesus worth more to you than even your greatest possession? Think through your house. Think through your accounts. What do you hold nearest and dearest? Is Jesus nearer and dearer to you? Not just to us, to you. Now, of course, most of us will say, yes, he's our savior, of course he's worth that. Then show it. Not in, an, not in an arrogant, flaunting, look at me sort of way, because that's not love for Jesus, that's love for yourself and the praise of men. But be willing, like Mary, to be humbly extravagant for the glory of God and the person of Christ. She obviously didn't care what the crowds thought of her. She was, she was rebuked in front of everybody. It's kind of an embarrassing moment for her probably when Judas said that. Others will say, of course Jesus is worth more to me. Look at how much I give. Look how much time I give to the church. Look how much I volunteer. Look how generous I am with my money for the kingdom of God to the church and to other purposes that bring God's glory in the world and to which I say praise God for his work in your life but be careful. Be careful to evaluate yourself purely on your actions. They are an indicator, but they're not the only thing. Truly examine the motive of your heart, and I can't do this. This is something where you need to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, show me my own heart. Do I do this? Do I give? Do I serve for the praise of men to be seen? Or do I do it for a genuine heart of gratitude and thanksgiving, a genuine heart to see the glory of God in the person of Christ? Now let me make an important caveat here. It's not about amounts. The only person who was counting here was Judas. Jesus doesn't measure amounts as much as he does motive. You might remember the story of the woman at the well. She puts in a, fr- or not the woman at the well, the woman at the temple. She puts in a fraction of a penny as her donation to the temple. And Jesus says that she had given more than anyone else. Monetarily, she'd given far less, okay? Motive, she'd given more than anyone. It does not have to be a $50,000 amount. It needs to be a $50,000 intention. And as we do that, let our worship of Christ fill the air around us like a sweet aroma. Now, others might say, listen, if I'm honest with myself, Jesus is not worth more to me than my most precious possessions. I'd rather do something else. I'd rather make a career. I'd rather uh, have a great and comfortable life. I don't know what it is, but if you're honest with yourself, some of you might say, he's not worth that to me. And I'll just respond by commending you for your honesty, but encouraging you to re-examine the person of Christ because you've misunderstood You haven't known him for who he is. Like Mary, I would encourage you to sit at his feet and listen to his teachings. Throw out everything that you've heard uh, from movies or social media or your friends about who Jesus is. Even if they were right, just put them on hold for a minute and read the Gospel of John and let Jesus speak for himself. Let his life and teaching and actions speak for themselves. I just want to encourage you to do that. And then ask yourself the question, is he more precious to me than even 
Or is he worth more to me than even my most precious possessions? Get to know the person of Christ. For those of us who are believers but recognize there are parts of my life where I'm holding back, where I'm not willing to give it all, you may not be in the crowd of Jesus resistors, you're wanting to be in the crowd of Jesus followers, but you feel the tension, same solution. Look at the person of Christ Read the Gospels. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you who Jesus truly is. Guys, I'm so excited for next week's sermon. We're gonna see uh, Jesus, uh, we're gonna see some things about Jesus that I'm very excited about. Um, So come next week, listen to sermons. Um, More than anything, read your Bibles. Mary's action here is a beautiful example. Extravagance either indicates foolish ignorance or deep love. Mary deeply loved Jesus. But even more than that, even more than that, Jesus has deeply loved each of you. Jesus has been extravagant for you. God did not just give you a jar of perfume, he gave you himself in the person of Christ. Again, even though Mary didn't know what was going to happen, Jesus was fully aware For God so loved the world, this is again from the Gospel of John, that he gave his one and only son. You will never be more extravagant towards God than he has already been towards you and the person of Christ. And you know what? He already understands who you are. All the the mess of your life, all the sin in your life, he understands that. He knows who you are. But he also understands that you're made in his image that he cares about you and that he loves you deeply and so he has been extravagant for you in sending his most precious son for you. God has extravagantly loved us in sending Christ to redeem us. All I can do is pray in response to that. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for your extravagance in loving us. God, thank you for what you have already done for us. I pray that you would show us the person of Jesus. You would help us to understand, that you would help us to love, and that you would show us how you want us to be extravagant. Show us how to respond to your great love towards us, to the fact that you, Jesus, are the solution to our sin and death problem. Make us Jesus followers, not Jesus resistors. And I pray for those specifically in this room who do not know you, who would say, I don't know him, he's not worth more to me. Lord, reveal yourself to those people. Show them who you truly are. Show all of us who you truly are. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.